and welcome to an all-new episode of Mannix Insurance Uncovered, your go-to source for insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. This week's episode is sponsored by New England Asset Management. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering the National Flood Insurance Program. FEMA lays out more than a dozen ways to reform the struggling program. And we'll hear from the Coalition Against Insurance Broad to learn what steps insurance companies can take to lessen their vulnerability to fraud. In the nation's capital, the Senate Banking Committee held its second hearing within a week to examine the Federal Emergency Management Agency's plans for the National Flood Insurance Program. FEMA's David Morstad was the sole witness of the second hearing and laid out more than a dozen ways that lawmakers could reform the financially struggling program. First, ensuring that more Americans are covered by flood insurance by making insurance more affordable to low and moderate income policyholders. Flood insurance can be unaffordable for some policyholders. Under current law, FEMA does not have the authority to establish and charge premiums based on a policyholder's ability to pay. Although the NFIP offers mandatory discounts and cross-subsidies, those discounts and subsidies do not take into consideration the policyholder's financial need and, in fact, can make risk communication difficult because many people equate lower cost with lower risk. Reforms that address affordability, such as the use of a targeted assistance program, can offer low and moderate income, current and prospective NFIP policyholders a graduated risk premium discount while providing them knowledge of the full risk price to communicate a property's true flood risk. Morstad also stressed three important aspects of the program. First is communicating risk in real time and providing Americans with tools to manage flood risk. Second is reducing risk by addressing extreme repetitive loss properties. And finally, instituting a sound and transparent financial framework that allows the NFIP to balance affordability and fiscal soundness. Morstad spoke extensively about the importance of pre-disaster mitigation, adhering to strong building codes and constructing more resilient communities. Risk Rating 2.0 drew sharp criticism from Senators Menendez and Kennedy, while other members defended the methodology, saying that it would more accurately align actual individual home flood risk with rates paid. On the other side of Capitol Hill, the House debated a bill that would set national standards for how companies obtain and manage data. The bipartisan American Data Privacy Protection Act was introduced and marked up within just two days. NAMIC has some concerns about the bill's workability and signed and sent a joint letter with other insurance industry trades to members of Congress to address some of its key issues. The letter mentioned that federal preemption is critically undermined by providing 15 exemptions, which would leave the current patchwork approach in place while granting vast new powers to the Federal Trade Commission. The bill also includes a private right of action that does not provide significant guardrails to prevent a surge in large and abusive class action suits. And lastly, the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act provisions within the bill are inadequate for the insurance industry. NAMIC is working to stop this package from going through. While the goal of a data privacy bill is admirable, introducing a private right of action without a meaningful preemption or adequate GLBA considerations for the insurance industry simply makes this unworkable.
In Washington state, meanwhile, Insurance Commissioner Mike Kreidler is facing renewed calls for his resignation. So far, he has refused to step down, leading some lawmakers to consider censure or impeachment. The 78-year-old has been in office since 2001 and has been under fire recently for poor treatment of staff members. The legislature is not scheduled to convene again until January. However, either the governor or the legislature itself can call for a special legislative session under Washington law. Well, here's a fact for you. A new national estimate of insurance fraud losses shows an amazing $308.6 billion stolen every year. That's according to data from the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud. On today's Unscripted, our Neil Aldridge sits down with Matthew Smith, the coalition's executive director, to talk about steps insurance companies can take to lessen their vulnerability to fraud. On today's Unscripted, we're joined by Matthew Smith, the Executive Director of the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud. Uh, we at NAMIC certainly hear from member companies about insurance fraud regularly, uh, occasionally even makes it in the headlines of the media uh, for particularly spectacular examples. Uh, but the Coalition does this work every day. They track insurance fraud, try to help consumers and insurers alike. Uh, in uh, dealing with insurance fraud. It's an issue that kind of has always been with the industry. So today, Matthew's, Matthew's going to join us, and we're going to delve into this topic a little more deeply. So welcome, Matthew, to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here with you and the NAMIC members. Good. So let's just kind of get right into it here. Why don't you discuss just for a minute what anti-fraud efforts the coalition has been involved with, kind of just your mission, your role, those kinds of things. I'd love to do that. And, and let me begin uh, by saying that this is one of our first outreaches. So we are absolutely thrilled at the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud to now have NAMIC as a member and to be able to have these type of partnerships to educate your members and be a great resource in the anti-fraud area. So the NAMIC members that are joining us today, you're joining our members, such as virtually every major insurance writer across all lines in America but also organizations you know, such as the U.S. Department of Justice, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Department of Health and Human Services, 48 out of the 51 departments of insurance, about 20 or so of the attorneys general from across the United States and many law enforcement agencies, and then our great strategic partners. So these are the members that NAMIC is now joining with the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud. For those of you who don't know, we were actually formed in 1993. So next year will be our 30th anniversary. What is unique about the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud, not only in the United States, but when we have the privilege of traveling now around the world, participating in the Global Insurance Fraud Summit, the ISU Europe Conference in Malmo in a couple of weeks where we'll present an update there, is the Coalition's also unique in the world. And the reason for that is we were formed in 1993, not as an industry trade association. We were formed as a consumer advocacy organization to protect both insurers and consumers equally from the high cost of insurance fraud. Now, the way we do that in terms of our mission and how we fulfill that is really in three lanes. One is our public information and outreach. Those are our public service announcements, our infographics, our videos, all of the services we provide to all of our members entirely free of charge. 
And we also push these types of information out through the state departments of insurance and other consumer and social media platforms across the country. So that's lane one. The second lane is our advocacy lane. And that takes on several areas. One is legislative, working with NAMIC and other organizations to get good anti-fraud laws on the books. The second is regulatory, making sure there's the right regulatory balance to also address insurance fraud. And then our judicial advocacy program. This year alone, we've intervened in five state or federal cases dealing with important insurance fraud issues at the national and at the state level. And then our final lane is one that we're very unique in, and that is our, is our research lane. Every year, the coalition pushes out two to three major in-depth research studies. We did one last year on the globalization of insurance fraud with IBM and Luxoft. We're getting ready to launch one in June on the ethical use of data in fighting insurance fraud that we're partnering with Protivity. And this fall, we'll push out a study on the psychology of insurance fraud that we may touch on in this interview today. And that's going to be done in conjunction with Verisk. But these studies, along with our state of insurance fraud technology study that we do every two years with SAS, our four faces of insurance fraud study that we do on public attitudes every 10 years, these also define what the coalition does through these research studies that we provide to our members and to state agencies and federal agencies. So that's a little bit of who we are and what we do. Yeah, it's a great uh, mission and certainly something that consumers uh, and the industry both can benefit from, there's no doubt. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the cost of insurance fraud. So, you know, give us a little, a little, a little sense of overall big picture, you know, what, what kind of numbers are we talking about, insurance fraud, and then it may be a, a, an example or two of some of the particularly spectacular examples that might uh, catch your attention. Well, I'd be glad to do both. And, and the first is kind of a teaser, and I'll tell you why it's a teaser to our listeners sure. today. The most cited insurance fraud statistic in the United States, if you do a social media or Google or Bing search, is the 80 billion, 80 billion with a B, cost of insurance fraud. Now that's a staggering number, especially when you consider that unlike the national debt that simply rolls over every year, that $80 billion cost starts the counter over at zero every January 1st. Now, our listeners may think that $80 billion is a huge and shocking number. That number was developed by the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud. And as I mentioned, it's the most cited statistic in America. The dirty little truth though, is that number was developed in 1995. No and kidding. It was adjusted, it was never updated for inflation or anything else until now. In early June at our mid-year meeting in Orlando, following a year long partnership that we have with APCIA, with uh, organizations such as, as Colorado State University Global that did the study, the National Insurance Crime Bureau, and IASU, we've done an extensive study to update that number. And we're going to announce the new number in June. And it will be an astounding number, truly multiples of that $80 billion figure as the cost of insurance fraud in America. Now, you ask about some specific examples. And it depends on how you define costly. But just to, to share the magnitude of this you know, with our listeners, just last September in 2021, our member and partners at the Department of Justice announced 
a massive series of indictments covering more than 30 jurisdictions, more than 40 defendants for $1.4 billion of medical fraud. Now, what's even more shocking when you look at what we're coming out of COVID with the rise of telehealth, out of that $1.4 billion figure, the DOJ estimated $1.1 billion was already telehealth fraud. That just shows you the impact of COVID-19 on the world of insurance fraud. But looking at the other impacts, you know, in Michigan, Governor Whitmer just completed a rebate program there, or a refund program, where more than $2.2 billion was refunded to Michigan consumers and policyholders of by $400 payments to every policyholder. The reason for that is for decades, PIP fraud has been rampant in Michigan. Now, does that mean it's gone? No, but by the legislature taking action, making reforms, already $2.2 billion has been put back into the economy and into consumers' pockets in the state of Missouri, or excuse me, the state of Michigan. But you know, we're talking dollars. Before we leave this question, when you say, what are the most costly forms of insurance fraud? Well, some estimates have put as many as 4% of the number of murders in the United States being somehow tied to life insurance benefits. Sadly, we have reported cases in Virginia several years ago, in other states every year, of children being murdered, juvenile life insurance policies being taken out, and step-parents or relatives then trying to collect by murdering little children. And we have passed stage accident laws in states like New York and elsewhere in honor and memory of people who have tragically been killed in state uh, staged automobile accidents. So when you talk about insurance fraud, it's not just a matter of dollars. It's truly lives that are lost as well. So that's the impact that's even more frightening than the monetary losses. Yeah, it's a great example because I think a lot of people sort of chuckle this off and you know, you, you, you hear stories that, oh, there was a house fire, and of course, we just bought new furniture last Tuesday, right before the fire, and everybody sort of, you know, oh, what a coincidence that is. But you're right, there really are real consequences here, much beyond the, the, the dollar cost, and some of the, especially the stage accident or the life insurance question you mentioned there, could have real uh, life and death consequences, unfortunately. So, it's something that everybody can take seriously. So let's talk about that a little bit. What, what are some of the specific kinds of, of, of actions insurance companies could take to sort of lessen their vulnerability and also probably at the same time help educate their own policyholders about insurance fraud? Well, you know, you just touched on one of the biggest things, and we urge all of our partners, and, and I've had the privilege and honor, uh, even though NAMIC is a new member of the coalition, of knowing NAMIC and what NAMIC stands for for more than 20 years. We want to provide your members with the ability to educate their policyholders and consumers on what we call insurance fraud being the crime we all pay for. Now that can be things like infographics, you know, information on workers' compensation, information on hail losses, information on, on robocalls and how to not get scammed and give up your personal information. All of those are things insurers can do to help inform their policyholders and consumers and fight against insurance fraud. But most importantly, what insurers can do that no one else can do is devote the resources, both human 
financial as well, and technical. So all three, human, dollars, and tech, to properly fight against insurance fraud. You know, the sad reality that we're seeing across the country right now is it's a, it's a balancing act because the rise of anti-fraud technology is tremendous. The ability to do photo identification and verification, the ability to, to do massive searches that would have taken literally months, if not years, to put together the, the evidence of the fraud and to use artificial intelligence, machine learning, and these technologies is incredible. It's the greatest tools we've ever had. But some insurers are thinking that the combination of only using data technology and outsourcing everything else means they can slash and burn or even eliminate having their own special investigations units. And I love this saying that sums it up so well. It says, the saying is simply this, artificial intelligence should not replace humans, but humans who fail to understand and use artificial intelligence will be replaced. So what we're advocating is for insurance carriers to put the resources, whether it's human, dollars, or technology, behind their anti-fraud efforts. Don't just pass along the cost to consumers through higher premiums. And to understand that a well-run SIU is no different than the protective coating we have around our homes or our office buildings. We caulk the windows. We seal the roof. We make sure that the foundation is solid. Because if we don't, then bad things happen and it deteriorates. That's what anti-fraud efforts need to be for insurance companies, protecting it from all aspects of fraud, whether it's external, whether it's first-party claims, third-party claims, or sadly, even internal fraud that occurs. Yeah, that's a very useful message. So talk a little detail here about uh, law enforcement. There's good examples of partnerships between in the industry, insurance industry and law enforcement, but there is varying degrees of cooperation, varying degrees of, of level of priority, certainly. Um, some, I think, you know, some law enforcement perhaps doesn't see this as, as that big of a deal or they've got other fish to fry, as it were. So uh, talk a little bit about some of the successful partnerships that exist and, and what might be good examples for people to learn from. I'd be glad to. That is so important. Of you know, As we were talking earlier, one of the things we strive to do with law enforcement officials, with prosecutors, with attorneys general, and even with state legislators and state regulators, is to make sure there is a thorough understanding of the human side, the loss of human life, whether it's first responders or we were talking about life insurance, staged accidents, all of these types of things, to make sure that they understand this is not a victimless crime, and it's not simply some pile of, of insurance money that should not be protected. Insurers are citizens of states, too, and citizens of the company country and need to be protected from fraud and good anti-fraud laws. And the nice thing is there's some really good things happening. You know, the coalition had the privilege uh, more than a decade ago of being one of the founders of what's called the Health Fraud Prevention Partnership. HFPP is now a part of CMS. It was codified by the U.S. Congress a couple of years ago. And it's now the largest data aggregator of healthcare information to identify fraud anywhere in the world. Programs like HFPP are what helped and led in part, at least, to the Department of Justice cracking that $1.4 billion anti-fraud ring only in the fall of 2021. So the fact that we're using these, we're creating the right type of agencies that are there to participate, 
and to play an important role is huge. The coalition is partnering with groups like the American Trucking Associations for towing fraud legislation, both commercial and for, for individual towing. You know, the things that we saw happen during the COVID-19 pandemic were simple auto accident involving a NAMIC insured, where that unscrupulous, and many most of these providers across everything we're talking about, healthcare, towing, are gonna be honest people. We're talking about the dishonest fraudsters. But they would tow that vehicle, and then they would slap a $2,000 or $2,500 disinfection fee on mm -hmm. the car. And then they would say, which they were never authorized by EPA to do in the first place. But then on top of that, they would say to the insurer, even though we disinfected the vehicle, you're going to have to pay us for 14 days of storage before we can even touch it. Or bandit towing, these types of things. We partner with organizations and others to try to bring in good laws and regulations. I mentioned what we're doing in the staged accident arena. And some of our members, you know, like State Farm, has a tremendous program that we support on their arson dog program, where they actually supply these highly trained, incredible uh, dogs that can go in and identify what could would take labs, what would take, and labs not talking about the dog breed, yeah. uh, but <clears throat> laboratory analysis in humans, uh, an extended period of time, often when you're dealing with adverse weather, the evidence gets destroyed. And the ability to have programs like this to be frontline responders are the tremendous partnerships that the coalition's proud to be a part of, and more importantly, proud of our members for advancing and helping to lead the fight against insurance fraud by doing them. Yeah, that's a great example. I'm familiar with the State Farm program. Uh, I've seen some of the dogs uh, work. It really is an incredible example. Uh, and there are lots of others where the industry is partnered with others to really stamp this out. But uh, are we making progress? We are. You know, there, there's a lot of great things that are being done, both in the United States domestically with stronger laws, stronger regulations, more, more changes coming. You know, we're partnering right now in the state of California on it's still a proposal, but a bill that's been introduced there that would allow for insurers and self-insureds to have immunity to talk with district attorneys and designated assistant district attorneys about potential insurance fraud investigations. They have the, that immunity now with the State Department of Insurance, but it would extend it to talking to local prosecutors. So we're always looking for ways to improve the immunity for reporting. We're looking at increased sentencing guidelines where we can get those types of things put together. But we're also very cautious when we look at what the trends are. And we're trying to, and this is, this is a negative that can become a positive. So what do I mean by that? More informed insurance carriers are going to be better at fighting insurance fraud. More informed regulators and legislators are going to provide more resources to address fraud. So those are the positive sides. But what do I mean by the negative side of that? Well, one of the things I talked about the coalition does is in-depth research studies. And if you look, and this, I'm a big fan of the, of the millennial and the Gen X generation, I think there's a lot of good there. But one thing that's not is the propensity for lying. You know, there's been a study that, that's been done that was tremendous that showed a 24% jump in acceptance of younger Americans in lying to get out of a tough situation than the generations ever before. 
That's a 24% increase. Now, do you think insurance companies need to be aware of that if they're investigating someone for insurance fraud? And if that study didn't prove it, there was a study that came out just about three weeks ago that some of, some of our listeners today may have seen it, but it showed in the last two years alone, just two years, a 204% increase in lying on insurance applications to secure coverage. Hmm. 204% increase in two years. <clears throat> These are the realities that are out there, and we have to be prepared to address them and aggressively go after them if we want to protect both insurance carriers and consumers and policyholders from insurance fraud in the years ahead. Yeah, that's a eye-opening number. You, you, you couple that with your earlier reference dollar amount problem that we already see, um, and that, that would maybe lead one to conclude that those dollar amounts, as you hinted in your study coming out in June, are going to be higher. Uh, but you know, that $100 billion mark is just to put it in perspective, is is probably pretty close to a, a year's worth of, you know, hurricanes and wildfires all put together in terms of the actual losses that the insurance industry faces from catastrophe kinds of, of losses. So this isn't just, you know, a little thing that's on the margins or around the edges. It's, it's a significant problem and perhaps a declining economy, changing attitudes, uh, could make it worse. So the coalition's got a big job in front of it, um, and we, we certainly will look forward to working with you uh, in addressing this and arming NAMIC members and really consumers, right? This is where it starts. It has to be kind of an awareness that, you know, this isn't something to just laugh off or something that is not a victimless problem. I think those are all the right messages that people really need to understand and that everybody does indeed pay for it. Um, so certainly, we appreciate your time today, Matthew. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your work that you do uh, with the coalition every day. And I look forward to working with you more closely. Well, thank you again for the privilege and opportunity to be here, and especially uh, to welcome NAMIC as a new member of the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud. We look forward to working with you, your team, and the NAMIC members for many, many years to come. Great. We look forward to it. And before we wrap up today's podcast, we want to remind you NAMIC's 127th annual convention is now less than three months away. This year, the four-day event will be held in Dallas, Texas, but hybrid virtual attendance is also available. Head to NAMIC.org to check out this year's agenda and register your group for all the education, fellowship, and networking NAMIC's annual convention has to offer. And that's all for this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. Special thank you to our sponsor, New England Asset Management. We'll be back again on July 13th with more insurance news, including an interview with one of NAMIC's award-in innovation winners. Until then, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.